it is good to be back among you and uh, see a number of visitors and uh, glad you're here. I think Jay mentioned we'd love to have a record of your attendance if you're visiting us for the first time. Um, I do want to thank again Jay and Doug and, and uh, Matt for their diligent work and we were able to tune in and we're truly blessed as you all who were here uh, by the ministry of the word. It's always encouraging to me to see that in, uh, in when I do uh, take time away. We're First John, going through the scriptures uh, in First John chapter 2, I believe, I hope, because that's what I prepared <laughs> this morning. Give your attention to the Word of God. First John chapter 2. I'll be reading verses 7 through 11. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The grass wither, the flower fades and falls to the ground, but the word of our God remains forever. Father, do bless it as it has been read and as it is expounded to our heart's understanding to conform us more into the image of Christ. Amen. I would say everybody, but, but I'd certainly say most of us like uh, something new, whether it's, uh, whether it's old to someone else or new to us, um, whether it's something in the latest fashion or the latest model car or styles the latest gadget. In fact, our whole consumer economy is geared uh, to that, and, and most of us are victims of those kind of desires. But it's a materialistic age in which we live as we think about those things, um, because all the marketing and all the ways to get us to think that if we just have this one thing, and we possess it, that somehow it'll make all of our wildest dreams come true and solve all of our problems. And it never does. It always leaves us, at the end of the day, empty. And as we get older, we get the perspective more and more. It's just, it's just going to end up on uh, the dump. Um, it's helpful for us to contemplate uh, that great truth. So when 
the Apostle John, writing over 30 years after the ascension of the Lord Jesus, writes, Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have heard from the beginning. There's this emphasis that it's new and at the same time that it's old. Why did he do that? Well, biblical scholars think that what he is dealing with in this epistle is an early form of the ancient heresy of Gnosticism. And the, and the Gnostics developed more and more through this time, but, but uh, they had already started infiltrating the church. And the Gnostics basically were saying that if you just have the right idea about Jesus and who he was, in fact, he, he, he wasn't even a real person, he was just a spirit, uh, then if you just understood this secret special knowledge that they all alone possessed, then you could be in the inner circle and go to heaven. And their uh, approach was, this is new. This is different. So when John writes this, he's saying to them, beloved, I'm writing you no new Commandment. I'm writing something that is based in the revelation of the person of Jesus. I'm writing to you what was known from the beginning of the scriptures to confront this ancient heresy of just possessing this right knowledge that will give you secret access and gain you entrance into heaven that no one else has. Well, this ancient heresy is still among us. In fact, I've spent three weeks in, in the, the most religious countries of the world. And I'll tell you that it's covered with religion and religious practice and if people are defined on whether they are religious or not religious. And the religious in all of those places all claim some secret knowledge possessed only by them. The gospel is opposed to all man's religion. It is the only hope for the world because the, because the gospel is not secret. It is open. And the gospel is that we're all sinful and we are all in desperate need of salvation and only the knowledge of the person of Jesus who died for sinners can save us. That's why uh, he was so adamant in the beginning of the book. If we say we have no sin, we're liars. The truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And based on what he's going to say, it seems strange. The first thing he, uh, point he makes in verse 7, he's not, I'm not writing a new commandment, but I'm writing an old commandment. This is, this is not new. This is not innovative. This is not some special secret key to get into the 
the fraternity or the sorority that just certain people have? No, this is the truth of God's word that is given to all. It goes all the way back to the beginning. Which beginning? Well, John may be thinking of his beginning as a disciple with Jesus. When he, along with Peter and the other disciples, were called to walk with Jesus publicly for three and a half years. He may be, he may be thinking of the beginning of, of the Lord's Passion. We celebrate uh, the, pa the Passover and, and the, um, uh, the, the, uh, the uh, Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem today. He may be thinking of them going into the upper room and, and uh, sitting there and, and partaking of the Passover meal and, and, and Jesus teaching at that meal uh, the new commandment to love one another. He could be thinking of that, but I think he's thinking of the same thing the Holy Spirit moved him to think about in his gospel, chapter 1, verse 1. But in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things that have come into being have come into being through Him. He may be thinking past that to not only what Jesus taught, in the night he was betrayed, he might be thinking as well of what Moses taught in the law. That we, we are to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our might, and with all of our strength, which I'll be preaching on tonight. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, the Shema. Or what he taught when he gave the laws of ceremonial cleanliness in Leviticus chapter 19. That the duty of all of these sacramental exercises is to love your neighbor as yourself. All of God's commandments are ancient because they consist in his perfect righteousness, his perfect love, which has been fully revealed to us through the law and the prophets and most fully and most perfectly in the person of Jesus Christ, his eternal only begotten son. You heard it from the beginning of Christ's public ministry. You've heard it from the beginning of creation through his word in the book of nature and the book of God. So there is nothing new here in the sense of novelty. At the same time, verse 8, it's a new commandment. At the same time, there, and it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. It is new. It is new, but it is based in the inscripturated word of God. 
Jesus summarized, um, without getting too far ahead of myself, when he, what is the first thing that Jesus teaches in the temple? He immediately enters Jerusalem uh, to the hosannas of the crowd. He goes across the Kidron Valley, down Mount Olives, across the Kidron Valley, into the temple to teach and to position himself to explain uh, the essence of life. And what does he teach? What is the first thing that he teaches in Matthew 22? The first thing that he teaches is the great commandment, which is the summary of Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19, verse 5. You are to, the, the great and foremost commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. What a statement. That's why we share the motto. We, we were told back in the day that we should summarize the teaching of your church and what does your church teach. Uh, and you'll find... Hundreds of churches. In fact, if you don't find this in the church's the statement, you've got to wonder if it's a Bible-based church. That's why our motto is we, we want to do two things. We want to love God, and we want to love people. That's what, you're, that's what we're called to do as believers. We're to love one another because Jesus loved us first. We're to love each other sacrificially as Christ has loved us. That's why... Marriage is, is so holy and so to be uh, sanctified because in it, Christians demonstrate sacrificial love for one another. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. We're called as husbands to lay down our lives for our wives sacrificially and unconditionally. Again, Jesus made it plain when he told the story of the Good Samaritan, who, who are we to love? Not just our wives and husbands and children, not, not just our, our fellow church members who we're in common cause with, we love so much, he told this very uncomfortable story, and when we were in Jerusalem, we would go back and forth again and again. Uh, the, the road from Jericho to Jerusalem, where Jesus told the story of a Samaritan who was a, a half-breed outcast considered by the Jews, was the holy man, because why? He, he took time to minister to and care for someone who was wounded and broken and hurting on the side of the road when all the religious people passed them by on the way to their religious duties. What is the, what is the message of that event, that story? My neighbor is anyone in need. I don't have the right to pick and choose. I am to love others. 
unconditionally as I have been loved, whether they accept it and receive it or not. Jesus took it further in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said that you're to love your neighbor. I say, don't you don't merely love your neighbor. You love your enemies. One of my mentors in counseling through books, I never met him personally, but um, he um, just was a marvelous biblical counselor. His name is Jay Adams. And, and um, if you ever want interest, if you're ever interested in biblical counseling, get his books on shepherding on God's flock and how to do that biblically. But he said he tells the story. Uh, in there about a man who who uh, was having extreme problems in his uh, his marriage and and uh, he said he came to Jay Adams and said you don't know what my wife is doing to me and he said well you're to love her well I can because she does all these horrible evil things to me and he said you mean that she is your enemy and the man said, yes. He said, well, Jesus said, love your enemies. We have no choice about what anyone does to us, but to love them. If you can't love them, he went through a whole litany of things. Can you love her as your sister in Christ? No, I can't. She's not acting like, can you love her this way, that way? No. Then you are called to love her as your enemy. That is the standard that God has called us to. <clears throat> when we landed in this country in Atlanta, Georgia last, uh, I forget, I've slept a couple times since then, I can't keep up the dates, so but we landed. <laughs> What, what do we do? We turn on our phone, right? And we see what happened. And the first thing that came up was uh, the murders in Nashville, Tennessee, of these three precious children, these three uh, Christian school administrators. And uh, it, I didn't even, I did not even know at the time the connection with the Tuning's grandchildren being there. And I've been thinking ever since about the hatred that consumed a person to do such a thing. How do we respond? And then I thought about uh, everything I'd seen and heard and, uh, and then preaching on Palm Sunday. And I thought, what did Jesus do? He loved his enemies so much that he died for them. And before we were filled with self-righteous anger at others' sin and wickedness, we need to get a handle on the fact that we participated in the hatred that crucified Jesus. put him on the cross. 
and he did it willingly. And, and, and make no mistake, the Bible is crystal clear. Ephesians 6, 1, you were enemies. Before you were reconciled to Christ, you were his enemy. You were at enmity with God. That means you were his enemy. And then he forgave you. God sets his love on undeserving sinners. That's the message that will change the world. There's no amount of political maneuvering or, or argument that's ever going to change a heart. The only thing that can change a heart filled with hate and murder is the glorious gospel of grace. And this is what Jesus did for us. He began, he began to love us, loved us to the uttermost. And drinking the cup of death and damnation for us on the cross. He who says he's in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness. It means you don't know the love of Jesus if you're full of hate. We live in a world filled with hate. And the only way to change is to begin individually, collectively as a body of Christ and, and pray for that love of Jesus Christ to spread. That forgiving, gracious love of Jesus to spread and to be applied in every life, in every home, in every family and be applied in, in all of our dealings with the, the, uh, those outside to fulfill our duty to pray for even wicked rulers and those in control as Jesus stood before these petty tyrants at his trial I thought about how he could have crushed them in a moment and yet he submitted to their authority to the point of death on the cross. This is the way that God has called. This is what John is preaching to the people. Don't turn to false doctrine. Don't turn to your own religious righteousness. Walk in the light of Jesus. Jesus, the one who said, I am the light of the world. He who, walk, who follows me does not walk in darkness. Because spiritual darkness is deadly. I don't know if you ever like me you get up in the middle of the night and stump your toe it hurts I do it rather frequently sadly when you walk in the darkness of this world you get hurt too you get hurt uh, in ways that are far greater than stumping your toe even in the world, there's de it's deadly at times to walk in darkness. In, in Arkansas, with these hills and valleys, some of you know and follow, maybe know loved ones who have died. They've walked off a cliff or tragically uh, off a bridge in the middle of a uh, shutdown on the interstate. It happens every once in a while here. It's tragic. Spiritual, uh, physical darkness is, can be deadly. 
But spiritual darkness <clears throat> is much more deadly. The spiritual darkness consists of blindness to your own sin, blindness to the hurt and the, the pain and the suffering that you have caused by your own sin, a failure to come to terms with it and deal with it, to truly repent, which means to change your mind about Jesus, resulting in a change of behavior. This is what the Gnostics were teaching. The Gnostics were teaching, well, if you just say these words and go through this, this process, then you have no worries if you just possess this secret knowledge known only to us. John is preaching in these passages if you hate your brother and you walk in darkness, it doesn't matter how much knowledge you have. It doesn't matter how clearly you can articulate the gospel. If you have hate in your heart, which means you have the devil in your heart, it doesn't matter. The good news is you don't have to remain in darkness. If you're in darkness right now, you need to repent. You need to put your faith in Jesus. You need to have your eyes open and see clearly how much Jesus has done for you and how much he loves you and that he died for your sins, that you might have life now in abundance and for all eternity. And have the joy unspeakable that enables you when disaster strikes, when the tornado hits, when, when the, the crisis comes in your marriage, when, when the, uh, uh, everything you do, uh, put your trust in in this life is taken away, you can just say, fine, have the Lord. And that's all that matters. It takes, it takes a long time of God's dealing with us. But that's the message here. That we can be confident in uh, knowing the greatness of his law and mercy to returning sinners. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word which speaks so clearly about Jesus from the disciple that Jesus loved who it's no surprise that he would teach about love, the one who was loved by Jesus, especially when he walked on earth. And Father, the truth of the gospel is that we are all loved in the same way by the Lord Jesus if our faith and trust is in him. If anyone has yet to understand that, may this be the day that you bring it about in their lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's now respond to the gospel of grace.